Let's read our passage, beginning in verse 10, and we'll read through verse 31. What a delight and what a blessing it is, brethren, to read the Word of God. Let us hear it. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to visit us in the reading, and now hopefully the application of His Word. From Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the very last, images and acts of women are prominently displayed. As the first chapter of Genesis records, women share with men the extraordinary mercy of God being created in His image. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. And the last chapter of Revelation says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, chapter 22, verse 17. Now here, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is displayed by the image of a woman. An anxious bride awaiting the bridegroom's joyful return. So, the very first chapter of the Bible, the very last chapter of the Bible, gives us images, acts of women. And between these two chapters, God's Word portrays women of every sort. Now, in the last chapter here of Proverbs, the Holy Spirit inspires the question, Who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? With the extraordinarily high place that women occupy in Genesis 1 to the pure and holy anxious bride of Revelation 22, the question of Proverbs 31 might at first glance be puzzling. If we see creation in the image of God here and a glorious, chaste, pure and holy bride in great anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus, how is it that here in approximately the middle of the Bible, someone's saying, who can find a virtuous woman? They seem to have such a glorious beginning and such, at least in the picture, a glorious end there in Revelation. Why is it that the question even has to be asked? But the stories in between these holy bookend chapters reveal that the question is not out of order. As a matter of fact, as we have already seen, Genesis chapter 3 unfolds and explains very clearly why this question must be asked. <clears throat> Proverbs, virtuous woman is worth more than the most precious of stones because she is so scarce. The Holy Spirit tells us that the value of a virtuous woman is far above rubies. And we discover her extraordinary value in two things. What she is and what she does. And as we find consistently throughout the Scripture, she does what she does because she is what she is. As we pointed out last week. Her internal virtues flow to external beauty and worth valued among the richest treasures in all of life. And I will go so far as even to say in all of Scripture. Very few things come close to the value of a virtuous woman. Verse 10 says, as we have read, her price is far above rubies, which again is the title of our study. This is part three. Now, as one man remarks, quote, the poet thereby means to say that such a wife is a more precious possession than all earthly things which are precious, and that he who finds such an one has to speak of his rare fortune. Close quote. And we notice that in verse 28. 
he praiseth her. He has to speak. He has to speak of the great treasure he has found to others, and he speaks of his great, precious value of her, the priceless character to her, which he views her. So, we have said that uh, this chapter roughly breaks down the, the high, inestimable value of such a woman this way. Number one, a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is. And then number two, a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she does. And thirdly, a virtuous woman is priceless because of whom she serves. Now we continue with our first point. We haven't moved out of our first point here for three weeks because we have found it... Uh, important to stay on this issue of what she is before going on to the other items. So, we continue with our thinking on that, uh, the, the notion that a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is. Because of what she is. I can't say this enough. Now, brethren, if, you're, if you were to forget everything else that, that I say about this passage, which I hope you don't, but if you do... I hope that you will remember at least this one thing. Verse 30 is the key to this entire passage. Verse 30 is the key to this entire passage, which will be our last point once we finally get there. But since it's taking us an extended time to get there, uh, I want to go ahead and hit that uh, now. Verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Why is this a virtuous woman? What makes her of this extraordinary and precious uh, worth? And it is because she fears the Lord. All that she is flows from the fact that she is alive by the Spirit of God. We have, as a matter of fact, an entire book here of of Proverbs that are called wisdom writings. And throughout the Proverbs, wisdom is personified as what? A woman. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as we close the book, we find a woman in real life uh, actually fleshing out, if I may say it that way with a positive spin on the word flesh, fleshing out what it means to fear the Lord. Doesn't this book tell us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord? And if that is the case, we also know from the Word of God that it is Christ Himself who has made wisdom to us. Any woman that is truly wise as defined by the Word of God is because she has a new heart and she worships the living God. Because she has a new heart, because she is a woman of prayer and of faith, because she believes and bows to the Word of God, all these other things flow from that. Ladies, you will have the, the entire uh, idea of this passage backwards 
if you try to live this life outside in. Well, if I do all these things, I'll be virtuous. No, if you are virtuous, you'll do all these things. And, and the virtuous, the, 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 this, all this virtue is the fruit of a new heart, uh, the fruit of being born of God's Spirit, the fruit of being made alive and brought into union with the living God. So, this is the key. What we have before us is plainly and simply a glorious illustration that is hammering out the virtues of wisdom laid out all through the book of Proverbs and we see it in the life of this woman who is of a worth, of a value far above rubies. So, we come back to consider this particular point. Let's review just for a few moments to refresh our minds. We began our study in this passage by going to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through uh, 28. And as we looked at those verses, we came to conclude these seven things. Number one, a woman is not an evolved being but a creature made in the image of Almighty God. Number two, woman is not male, but female. That is, she is a creature with a distinct gender, and that is to be preserved. Our society would like to do everything it can to blur that distinction or to overemphasize it in a lascivious way. Number three, a woman is a creature blessed of God for accomplishing His eternal purpose, dominion over the earth, along as the help of man. Number four, a woman is a creature blessed of God in her sexuality and fertility. Number five, a woman was declared very good by God. It's important to realize that when God created man and woman, male and female, in his own image, their very goodness reflects him. It isn't very good in some generic way. Oh, they're nice. What it means is that when God pronounced male, when he pronounced female very good, he's saying that in my image they reflect my glory. That's very good. And sixthly, as a general rule, woman is to bear children as a part of the outworking of God's eternal purpose. And finally, number seven, woman is to, as we said, rule with man, having dominion over the earth. Then our study took us to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25, and that led us to conclude two additional things. Number one, woman as created in the image of God is a special creature having been made from man. All of the other creatures, including man, were made of the dust of the ground. The woman, uh, distinct from all other creation, was made of man. And secondly, woman was designed by God to be man's help. She was designed to be man's 
held. All women, therefore, have a unique, holy origin. They have a distinct and righteous purpose. And they have the very blessing of God for their work. Why then are not all women virtuous? Now, that question drove us to consider the fall of women into sin in Genesis 3. From our study of that passage, we concluded that, number one, Satan used language to seduce the woman with false religion. Number two, woman needs her head to protect her by the word of God. Adam didn't. Three, woman can be seduced by words and through her senses, as we saw in Genesis 3. And finally, number four, because of her exalted position, woman has the potential to do extraordinary good or despicable evil. And the scriptures bear that out chapter after chapter. A woman can draw her head away from God's word and into false religion. As we saw in the garden, as we see worked out throughout the history of Israel, and the tragic and uh, graphic example that we have in Solomon who, being the wisest man who ever lived, as declared by the Lord Jesus himself, was drawn away in his old age after false gods by his many wives. On the other hand, she can be like Priscilla, working alongside her husband in the great work of the gospel. So... We have seen those things in those three important passages. And that brought us then to consider the character of woman. And we considered in our last study that woman being created or women being created in the image of God uh, or I should say the fact of women being created in the image of God is a vitally important doctrine. It's an important issue. Because they are created in God's image. Ladies, sisters, because you are created in the image of God, you have the distinctive role, a distinctive role in the eternal purpose of God and therefore in all of history. You're not simply historical creatures. You are history makers. You are history changers. Was not Eve? And yet was not Priscilla? Sure. Uh, Secondly, because women are created in the image of God, they along with men are able to communicate with God in a way that the rest of creation cannot. Thirdly, because women are created in God's image, they are able to reflect His character and His will. And finally, because women are created in the image of God, they are able to represent Him. Women can think, say, 
and do things according to the holy will of God. They can and do function as God's representatives within the realms that God has ordained. Throughout Scripture, we see women in numerous roles. The primary, of course, being wives and mothers, daughters and sisters. But we also occasionally see women as prophetesses, wise persons, teachers, and even in one case, a judge. Though I fear far too much has been built on that one case of the judge. We'll look at Deborah in the weeks to come. But all of these things are so. And this means that women have the potential for enormous good. And God's Word is filled with examples of good, virtuous women. Now we want to look at uh, kind of a bird's eye view. Back up and uh, we're not going to look at great detail at any of these women tonight, but we want to back up just a little bit and, and mention some illustrations of godly, virtuous women that are prominently set forth in the Word of God. Uh, we can begin, as a matter of fact, with Deborah. Now, again, when we say virtuous, we're not talking about uh, virtuous in simply a pull a dictionary off the shelf and just take uh, a humanistic and secular idea of what good is or virtue is. What we're talking about is reflecting the character of God. That is true virtue. Those things which a woman is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the might of the new birth manifested in reflection of the will and character of God. That is a virtuous woman. And it is brought to life as we see these characters set before us. In Judges chapter 4, verse 4, we encounter Deborah. The Word of God says, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, before we go any further, we want to put a footnote in here regarding this. It tells us that Deborah is a prophetess. That's a very important position. This is the female side of a prophet. In fact, we can call Deborah a prophet if we uh, want to simply use the term generically, but if we want to point to gender, we would say a prophet is a man and a prophetess is a female, a woman. And that's an extraordinary position because the delivery of the Word of God is an extremely important and authoritative act. Ladies, it is wonderful that in God's purpose and way, you being in His image and you being born 
of His Spirit and you communing with Him, learning of Him, walking with Him, have a realm that God has given you to be like Deborah and to bring forth the Word of God. You're going to be vitally involved, and many of you are, in the instruction of your children. You will be involved in, as Titus 2 shows us, in the instruction of other women. And when properly approached and under the authority of your head, uh, one as Priscilla, instructing someone in the way of Christ more clearly. That's a very important, that's a very important act. And you should take it very seriously. The second thing here that we want to consider, it is important to note that even though blessed with this important position, the prophetesses of the Lord were identified in Scripture with significant men in their lives. This is in harmony with the patriarchal structure of the Word of God. For instance, in Exodus 15.20, Miriam is introduced to us this way. And Miriam the prophetess, it doesn't stop there. It says, the sister of Aaron. A man. Number two, and Deborah a prophetess, the wife of Lapidot. Huldah the prophetess, 2 Kings 22, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, Isaiah speaks of his wife. And I went unto the prophetess. Now there she's not specifically called uh, by her name and then the, the wife of Isaiah, but he makes that obvious. I, the prophet of God, went into my wife, who was the prophetess. And there was one Anna, Luke chapter 2, verse 36 tells us, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel. So, even in this extremely important place of handling the Word of God within the realms that God has ordained, we see, even in the Scriptures, a clear tie to a head or a significant male in the life. We we don't generally find uh, the men in the Scripture introduced that way. Moses, the husband of. David, the husband of. We don't see that. Why this? Because of the patriarchal structure of Scripture. Well, secondly... Uh, no, we don't want to run under Hannah yet. Well, I want to draw out one thing, one more thing on Deborah. She reflects the knowledge, the supremacy, and the goodness of God. Anyone who brings forth the Word of God is bringing forth and reflecting the character of God and His will. You can't take God's holy Word and speak it to someone without being involved in the knowledge of God and supremacy 
And Deborah reflects God's goodness in being a God who communicates. We find that all through the Scripture. Genesis begins with, And God said, and God said, and God said. God is a God who communicates. The Lord Jesus Himself is called the Word of God. The Word of God. And Deborah, speaking as a a prophetess, magnifies the goodness of Almighty God in His communicating His will and His character. Well, then we want to move on quickly then to, to Hannah. She prayed in fervor and in agony. And while she was doing so, Eli the priest rebuked her, supposing her to be drunk. She was brokenhearted because she wanted a child. Again, as we will see as we go through the Scriptures, today, so many women do everything they can to avoid children. But what we see in the Scriptures is women praying and pleading and weeping and crying out to God for children and more children. And here we have Hannah involved in that holy activity. Nevertheless, she presented her righteous cause to Eli. I'm not a drunken woman. I'm crying out to God. And then Eli, the man of God, blessed her. And 1 Samuel chapter 1 says this in verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. This is uh, the, the child that God in His mercy granted in answer to her prayer and the blessing of the prophet. God gave her this beloved firstborn child <clears throat> and she dedicated him to the Lord. And it says in verse 25, And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Here we see a woman exemplifying the faithfulness of God. We see a woman of great faith. We see a woman of prayer. And we see a woman who reflects the goodness of God in faithfulness. She said, if you give me this child, O Lord, I give him back to you. And she kept that promise. This shows our God, who is a covenant-keeping God. And His great goodness in sacrificial giving. Here she gives her first-born son. And brethren, that's exactly what the Father did for us. He gave us His first-born son. Well, even as we run through these things in something of a hurried, a hurried fashion, I mean, I trust you begin to, to see that these wonderful illustrations always exemplify 
something of the glory of God. We see Abigail in 1 Samuel chapter 25 who has the thick-headed and obnoxious husband, Naboth, and not Naboth, Naboth. And, uh, and when he offends King David and his men, David's on his way to take his head off. And Abigail shows extraordinary wisdom putting together a, a, a quick feast and going out personally and interceding on behalf of one who was utterly unworthy. One whose very intercession spared the wrath of the king. And we see, again, in this wise woman, the very wisdom of God. She acted wisely. We also see her interceding for the unworthy. And her intercession satisfying the wrath of the king. Brother, does thus not speak of the glory of our God and of His Christ. Not speaking of female Messiah, this is not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that women are created in the image of God. And faithful, believing women by the Spirit of God and their lives being shaped by the Word of God, reflect the glory of their Maker. Jael, in Judges chapter 5, verse 24, Blessed above woman or women shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when, he, when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed. He fell. He laid down. At her feet he bowed. He fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. Now this is praise and exaltation to Jael, who destroyed one of the enemies of God's people. And what do we see here? I mean, when we read the passage, we, it's, it's extraordinary that this woman destroyed the enemy of the Lord's people. She crept up, having <clears throat> given him milk. He exhausted, Sisera was exhausted from the battle and fled and had thought to find refuge there in the tent of Heber the Kenite. And Jael comes after he falls asleep and drives a tent stake through his head. We read that and we're almost repulsed at the violence of it. We think of a woman doing something like this. Surely the Scriptures would say, well, this is an awful thing. No, she's praised. She's praised. What do we see? Well, we see in her the reflection of the power to destroy the enemies of the Lord's people. We see reflected in her the wrath of God in judgment. 
see, brethren, we could, we could take every faithful woman throughout the Scripture and just go from one end to the other. And we must see as they do the things that they do, whether it be laying their hands to the distaff and the spindle or laying their hands to the tent peg and the hammer, there is a reflection of the glory of their God. You are created in God's image. And while you are a prism with different facets than a man, you still reflect the glorious light of your Maker in the ways in which He intended. It is no surprise that Paul says to men and women alike in his Corinthian epistle, quit ye like men. Finish the course. Be brave. Be strong. Be courageous. Women can be and are women strong and courageous throughout the Scriptures here. Who can forget the... the the, the brave and obedient and righteous Esther. You read Esther's story. Esther 4 says, <clears throat> Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king." which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Men, this was an extraordinary, brave, courageous act. There are many men that wouldn't have done something this brave. Esther could have lost her life easily in a moment because she went in unannounced she stood before the king without being summoned. What drove her to this? First of all, the one who reared her, had reared her in the Word of God, had taught her what her responsibilities were, and even though she was now queen over this vast nation, the one that Haman was plotting to kill simply said to her, don't kid yourself. If we are all destroyed because we are Jews, the very same thing could happen to you. And she obeyed. She could have said, look, I'm the king. Out of here. Uh, I'm the queen. Out of here. Out. I've come a long way. Look, I'm the queen of this extraordinary kingdom. You don't tell me anything to do anymore. Go to your place. You worry about what happens to the Jews. I'm in a good, safe place. She obeyed. She obeyed the one who had reared her. Not only that, her beauty is seen in her wisdom, her courage, her purity and her self-sacrificing act. Brethren, does this not speak of our beloved Lord? Self-sacrifice 
while our roles are absolutely distinct, and while God has made us different genders and given us roles, we both reflect the glory of our God and of His Christ. And it can be seen in one woman after another. What speaks more of our beloved Lord than the giving of self for the lives of others? Tabitha. We read of her in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Again, we, we see the reflection of God's giving and the goodness in her works. Over and over, we find these kinds of things. She's full. She's overflowing with good things. And remember, in Scripture, when it talks about good, it doesn't mean some general sense. It means that which is in harmony, that which is in obedience to the will of God. That is what is good. The Jewish mind understood good as always being associated with God. A good thing was a thing that reflected God. A good thing was a God thing. A good time was a God time, if you want to put it that way. A good person wasn't just some nice person that lived on the corner that said hello to you in the morning. A good person was someone who obeyed the commandments of God. Apollos, that is, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. It is clear that Priscilla entered in to this correction of Apollos' thinking. She reflects the glory of our God in his knowledge in His wisdom, in the glories of Christ. Of course, Mary, the mother of our beloved Lord, once again, a model of righteousness, humility. Mary towers among women in Scripture, and that's not an exaggeration. The Word of God says in Luke 1, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. She, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, brethren, this is breathtaking. Don't get over don't get over the awesomeness of this. The angel explaining to this very young Jewish maiden. What was she chosen by God for? 
she was chosen to be the vessel by which the Son of God, the Savior of men, came into this world. By Eve, men fell into sin. Through Mary, the Redeemer of sinful men, was born. Many times, because of our reaction to what we believe to be the abusive uh, notions of, of Mary that Rome holds, the too highly exalted, we tend to just downplay her then. Let's just forget about it if we talk about Mary with sound Roman Catholic. Well, the angel wasn't Roman Catholic. And he was saying that this was an extraordinary and special woman. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, Blessed art thou among women, among all the women that have been or will be. Mary holds an important and vital role. She is the mother of the humanity of our Savior. She is the one through whom the Spirit of God wrought that holy thing. Brethren, she stood at the foot of the cross as her son poured out his life's blood for the sins of his people. And Christ acknowledged her in his suffering and his agony. He gave her to the Apostle John for care. Even in his dying, the Lord Jesus extraordinarily kept the law of God. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he honored his mother in his dying moment. Extraordinary. Mary was a woman unique among women and yet a woman who herself needed to be a disciple of her son. And she was. Well, we could go on. But do we not see the purity of our God magnified in Mary? Faith. says in verse 34 then said Mary unto the angel how shall this be seeing I know not a man and the angel answered and said unto her the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God and she believed she believed she was a woman of faith. Well, for all of the many godly women that we find in Scripture, there are wicked ones as well. We will look at a few of those next time in our next study together. But let's bring this to a close by considering what I said earlier. Why were these women set forth for us 
in the Scripture. Certainly for more reasons than even the ones I hurriedly mentioned this evening. But they are there to illustrate for us the truths that we find here in Proverbs 31. There are virtuous women. And these virtuous women show forth the glories and the grace of our God. They reflect His holy character. And it is because they fear the Lord. They are those who by faith have believed His promises. None of these women were good in and of themselves. Every one of these women needed redemption. Every one of these women needed to believe the promises of God. And they did. And that is what made them what they were. Ladies, when you come to this passage, sisters, as you look at these things, I've talked with women who, as I mentioned in our very first study, look at this and they immediately feel beaten down. And they go, oh, I, I can't do all of this stuff. So why try? Well, there are two things to say to that. Number one, we can't bring the standard down simply because all of us are weak. None of us can live the things that the Scripture calls us to be apart from the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, <clears throat> We don't want that which should be edifying and and would build you up to be that which the enemy and the weakness of your flesh uses to wear you down. You do not do these things to become virtuous. You do these things because you are. You must be born again. You must be alive in Christ. You must trust Him, His blessed and holy grace. You must look to His cleansing blood and the power of His Spirit. You must walk in the guidance of His Word, trusting and fearing the Almighty. You will only do what you do in a way that's honoring to the Lord when you are what you should be. And that only comes through the grace of Almighty God. So, the virtuous woman is priceless because she is what she is. She is these things through the glorious work of Almighty God. Sisters, I pray with all of my heart that you will come to these passages pleading first and foremost that the Lord strengthen and grant you, uh, strengthen your heart and grant you grace to do and to be what He's called you to be. And then, in love for Christ, bear the fruit found in these passages. Let's pray. Holy Father, there is not the first command in Scripture that man or woman can obey apart from the power of Thy Holy Spirit. Thou art gracious and good 
thou art holy and thou art mighty to work on behalf of thy people. Father, I thank thee for the sisters that thou hast added to this assembly. And we pray that in thy mercy thou wilt deal with the hearts of each one of them. May they be virtuous women by faith in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, I do pray that we as men might do all that thou hast called us to be, that they might more readily be able to walk in what thou hast called them to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.